When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study. We're fired up and ready to go for uh, for another one as we continue to walk through Genesis. And thank you all for being here, wherever you may be watching and listening. Men in the room, good to see you guys again uh, as we get ready to unpack Genesis chapter 15 today. Genesis chapter 15. So uh, make you aware of some things that are coming up uh, from themanchurch.com. You know, this Bible study brought to you by themanchurch.com. Coming up on April the 18th, if you... Uh, are anywhere near Northport, Alabama. Scott Dawson uh, from Team Man Church will be speaking there uh, on April the 18th. So make a note of that. That's this coming Monday uh, after Easter weekend. Uh, then on the 21st of April, uh, Andy Blanks will be at Valleydale Church. Uh, we'll be having a man church there. It starts at 630. All you have to do is just be there. Uh, that's my home church, and Andy Blanks, uh, who has written so much of the, the curriculum that we have at themanchurch.com, and he and I have been working on the content there for the last couple of years, uh, and Andy will be there speaking to us. He's a former Marine. He served our country, uh, and uh, he is a great Bible teacher. So you don't want to miss that uh, if you're in the Birmingham area, Valleydale Church, April 21st. On the 22nd, uh, Harmony Baptist Church in Avon, Indiana. Brian Gunn will be headed there. They've gone through one curriculum. They're about to go in through this. They've started the second one, and Brian Gunn will be speaking to them at Man Church there in Avon, Indiana, if you are catching this Bible study in and around Indianapolis. Then on the 23rd, three different locations, I'll be in Gordo, Alabama, uh, Highland Baptist Church for Man Church. Uh, Scott Dawson again, but he'll be in Warrior this time at Crossroads Church. And then on that same day, on the 23rd, Michael Helms, uh, Helmsy from the Rick and Bubba Show will be at, in Satsuma, Alabama, at First Baptist Church. Uh, and then looking ahead into May, uh, Man Church at Enon Baptist Church in Morris, Alabama. I'll be there May 1st. Uh, Helmsy will be at West Mobile Baptist Church in Mobile, Alabama on May 7th. Helmsy will also be in Montgomery on May the 11th at Landmark Church. Uh, and then on the 14th, Rich Wingo, First Baptist Church, Crestview, Florida. So those are a lot of man churches that are coming up. I have people email me a lot, and we're working on this feature. It's going to take some time you know, where, where men say, I'd like to go to themanchurch.com. I want to search any church doing uh, the discipleship strategy so I can get involved in my community if, you're, if your church isn't doing it. We're not there yet, but what we can do is you can go to these events that I just gave out to you. If I mention a church doing a man church, they're doing the strategy. So that at least that gives you somewhere uh, you can look, and we'll work on the other. And also our, our new app coming out called Strive. Uh, it'll be coming out, uh, we, we hope, sooner than later. It could be any day now, uh, but the app is not active. You may even see it uh, in the Apple Store. It'll be coming soon to Android, but it's not active yet, meaning it's it doesn't work yet. There's a countdown for it to be ready. Now, if you want to go to the countdown and have it set up, and then when it counts down, you go. It's going to have all kinds of content and search options, and and uh, th- this is going to be a great addition to what we do. Then you can go to strivebibleapp.com, S-T-R-I-V-E, strivebibleapp.com. Now, all that's going to do is just show you some images and start a countdown to when we think it's going to launch. So 
You can't use it. It's not ready to use yet. But if you want to start kicking the tires on it, you can. All right, let's open up in a word of prayer, and let's jump into Genesis 15 today. Lord, thank you for uh, this time together. Thank you for uh, your holy word. Thank you for allowing us today to learn uh, this, this valuable lesson uh, from, from Abraham. Uh, and, and once again, to remember something very interesting that James says in James chapter 5 and, and ask ourselves some questions today about that and then try to learn from the things that Abraham's going through. Uh, Lord, thank you for showing this today, showing us this today. And, and I'll be with all those that are hurting be with those who are sick, and to be with those that can't be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I want to do something real quick because this uh, I, I've really been going through a lot with this, with Genesis uh, 15, uh, because at the same time, I just finished teaching, and it's also part of our real man, uh, real men strategy um, and uh, about Elijah. There's, there is a lot of similarities to where Elijah finds himself in 1 Kings 19 and where Abram's going to find himself today in Genesis 15. There are a lot of similarities there, and um, it really it's the same theme. You know, when, when, when we come off the mountain and suddenly we find ourselves in the valley, how quickly that can happen when we've had this great spiritual experience. You've heard it so many times, mountaintop experience, and then, then, then comes the valley, and you're going to find Abram in one of those situations today. Uh, but you, find, you found Elijah in that situation in 1 Kings 19 after the great victory with the prophets of Baal. And then, of course, uh, Elijah gets word that Jezebel says that uh, sends him a letter that I'm going to make sure you die. And you, you see us talking about uh, this, uh, this question that God's, God asks Elijah when he flees, and he keeps asking him, what are you doing here? And um, so when you think about because you're going to see Abraham in a similar situation today, that's why I think it's important for us to turn over real quick, if you will, to James chapter 5. Now, he's going he's to be specifically talking about Elijah here, but we can apply this to Abraham as well, and you can apply it to every man that's in our curriculum called real men and, and, and any man in the Bible. But, um, but look at what uh, James says in verse 17 and I had to ask myself this question because this week I was doing Genesis 15 and 1 Kings 19. I was preparing to teach both, and I found myself going, "Lord, I guess you want me to. I guess you want me to know this 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 truth because these two Bible studies are two different people and two different times in in history, but really they're both going through something very similar." I guess I need to hear this. I guess I need to know this. I guess y'all can pick up something on it, but I've been taught about it all week. Uh, but anyway, look, this is the thing that I asked myself about um, Elijah, but it also would apply to Abraham in 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Do we believe that? Do you believe that Elijah and Abraham have a nature like yours? Because what I have done many times in Scripture, because I found myself today in 15 and Sunday when I taught First Kings 19, and then again when we did it, when we put the curriculum together, real men, I found myself foolishly being disappointed in Abraham and Elijah. I was like, my goodness, it, it didn't take long for y'all to have a pity party uh, after all the things that God has shown you. Now, y'all already know how dumb that is that I would say that because we all do the same thing. But, but that's when I, had to, when I went and saw what James was saying because what James was trying to tell us is don't forget before you're too harsh – 
with with these these what we would call heroes of the Bible and all their imperfections and why they would act the way they act after God had shown himself so so strongly you got to remember they got a nature just like yours that they're dealing with they have a sin nature just like yours uh, so you also then flip it and go so wait a minute so God is so great that he could even do great things through me yeah because he's the one that's great we're not You've heard, you've heard me say a thousand times, and I'm telling you, just like he told Elijah and just like he's telling Abraham today, trust me, I can do this with or without you. And, uh, and, and even the things we see going on with the manchurch.com and all that, God has made it crystal clear that there were plenty of other people that could have done it that were a lot more gifted than I am. They just wouldn't say yes. So, Rick, don't think that I'm wringing my hands that I can't go out and reach and disciple men if you won't come along. I will still get it done. I'll just get it done through somebody else. So so the, the, the only thing great about Elijah and the only thing that is great about Abraham is God because they have a, they have a nature just like ours. So remember that when you see these things that you start tilting your head a little bit going, how in the world do these men end up in, with all this fear and all this concern after God has clearly shown them that he's with them? And what I love about the gracious God and, and the, the patient God that we serve, you're going to see it again today, even when he has said it over and over and over, he'll still say it again. He'll still come along and reassure you again, no matter how many times he's proven himself and assured us before. So that's kind of the setup as we jump into 15, because right now, the, after a great victory, just like Elijah, Abraham was struggling, and he had three concerns that, that we'll unpack. And um, in, in, in 15.1, you're going to see what one of them is right out of the gate because the previous chapters we kind of focused on Abraham's actions. This chapter is going to focus on his emotions. Now, the minute I bring up in a men's Bible study, and ladies, I know you're with us uh, to some degree out there too, but at the foundation, I tell you this a lot, this is a men's Bible study, and Men, when we hear this, we're going to deal with Abraham's emotion. It's almost like if everybody in here was an official, you'd all be throwing flags right now. Oh, not emotions. Hey, whoa, we're not supposed to follow our emotions. And you're right. You're, you're, you're right. But, but we are emotional people, humans. So we don't – it's not that emotions don't exist and you don't have anything to do with them. You just don't let emotions run your life because we, you know, we've been told by, you know, by, by Scripture that, that following our heart and our emotions is not the best guide. But that doesn't mean that our emotions are meaningless and, and, and they don't exist and don't pay attention to them. It doesn't mean that. It just means be careful uh, how you deal with your emotions. It's unwise to let your emotions run wild but it's also unwise to completely ignore them. I would write that down if you're writing. It's unwise to let your emotions run wild, but it's also can be just as unwise as to pay no attention to them at all. And so what you find, because they are part of who we are. Think about how many times in the Psalms David is emotional. Think about, I already gave you the example, 1 Kings 19, Elijah is emotional. And it says he's struggling. He he wants to die. He's going into depression uh, after this great uh, victory. Jeremiah, I mean, the, the, the weeping prophet. <laughs> Can you imagine? I can't even, I think to myself, because sometimes when I get upset with people, which means 
I should I'm I'm just seeing myself in in the imperfections of people because I know that God has been so patient with me and I frustrate people and uh, and I'll start getting frustrated like going I I can't believe that we've talked about time and time again that this is needs how it needs to be done with this men's ministry and these people get all fired up and they say all these things and then they never follow through and and I find myself getting frustrated and then I'll be reminded what if you were Jeremiah. Because you know one thing I can tell you guys, and you, a lot of you know me, so we talk about it. We've seen God do incredible things with this ministry, incredible things. I had something happen yesterday just out of nowhere, incredible things. Now, have there been some frustrating things? Yes. Have there been some days when everybody was down because you wondered if anybody's listening? Yes. But at least we have evidence that something's going on. Jeremiah never got that. He couldn't get anybody to listen. All he had to do, all he really had was, I'm obedient to you, God, and I'll say whatever you tell me to say, but I haven't seen anybody respond. I mean, if you were trying to say, let me look through the, Jeremiah's life and find one person that listened, listen, there's, there's one case you might could make. It's a stretch, though. I mean, can you imagine if y'all were my board and y'all been serving Jeremiah Ministries and you've, you've been supporting me and feeding me and keeping me on the road? And, I, and you say, hey, tell us how the Lord's moving. And I have to come back and say, we got nothing. So do, nobody's come to saving faith? No. When you tell the people to do what God said, are they doing it? They aren't. So we all have invested in you, and you're doing what God said, and we got nobody? Nobody. But what did Jeremiah say? But you and I are so connected that there is a fire that is shut up into my bones. I don't even want to talk about you anymore because it doesn't, I'm paraphrasing, it doesn't bring me anything but trouble. Nobody listens. Everybody wants to kill me. Everybody hates me. So my life would be easier if I would just stop talking about you. But there is a fire that is shut up in my bones, and I can't help but talk about you. I can't shut up about it because of who you are and how, how much you're in my bones. So that that's that but but all of these men went through emotions of sadness, depression and difficulty. But we don't let our emotions run wild and we certainly don't make that to to be the you know the the filter that we make all of our decisions through, but we also don't ignore them because they're real. And uh, because if you if you go into ignoring them and not acknowledging them, the adversary will come and convince you that God's abandoned you and there's something wrong with you because you're being so emotional. I had a very emotional year last year, and that's not my thing. I I, I ain't real comfortable with all that, but but I found myself last year seeing all these victories very similar. I found myself quite depressed last year, many times where I was just, for the first time, I, I didn't have, I've never in my entire life ever had a situation where I'm supposed to go and teach and speak that I sat there and said, I just don't want to do it. And I did last year. I got to the point where I literally, there were times I was sitting on the front pew, pew in the last worship song, and I was looking and asking God, I think I'm just going to leave. Looking to the person next to me saying, I just don't think I can do it. I, I can't get up and do this again. And I got, I got to, I got to, I got to get away. I, I can't. I, I'm, 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 I'm running on empty. And, um, and so uh, now he always provided. And by the time I got up there, it was fine. It was all just a bunch of garbage and me battling 
myself and battling spiritually and whatever. And I knew that was going to happen. But there were times where I, I had I had that feeling that uh, that I'm just I don't know why I don't feel up to it today, but I just don't. And uh, I'd never really experienced that before. But the Lord sustained me, uh, and uh, and I'm thankful for that. So the first thing that uh, that that um, Abraham is looking for of his concerns, looking looking 15 uh, verse one, his safety. Now, why is that? Did that, did that one jump out at y'all, or does it today if it's the first time you've looked at it? So here's Abraham. Now, remember what happened in 14. Does everybody remember this? God gives Abraham incredible victory, 318 guys. And they go and they defeat the four kings that had defeated the five kings, and he gets Lot back. He, he uh, you know, unfortunately, he's sitting there. The king of Sodom is like, thanks for saving us. You know, let me give you all kinds of wealth. And Abraham said, I wouldn't take a sandal strap or a thread from you. Uh, and then we see uh, Melchizedek comes there, you know, the the high priest that many think is the precarnate Jesus, uh, which there are there are precarnate appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament. And um, and he, he gives him a tenth of, of what he brought back. And then in return, the only thing that Melchizedek was offering to him was uh, wine and bread a foreshadowing of, 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 of the crucifixion and all that that's coming. And so he's got his act together. He and his guys miraculously beat, you know, the four kings that had defeated the five kings. And one of the one of the thoughts here we have to think about is just like with Elijah, gosh, this thing really ties together. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. And what does the, the, the Lord say to Abraham? Fear not, which means what? He's afraid. What is he afraid of? Many say he's afraid that those four kings are more angry with him than ever now. They're not just going to let this go. They're going to reorganize. They're going to get the military back together, and they're going to come kill him. Sound sound familiar to Elijah? He says, fear not. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So in verse 1, we we see that, that God is saying to him, fear not. Um, and it's the first time in Scripture that we hear this phrase, the word of the Lord came. It's the first time we hear it in Scripture. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. We'll see it a um, hundred more times just in the Old Testament. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and think about this now, because this is now the deal of those emotions not letting them run you, but also not ignoring them. But now this next point has to be made because it's crucial. The fear not did not come from an emotional response. Fear not came from the word of the, word of the Lord. So remember this. This is real important. This is another write-down one here, okay? The faith that conquers fear is faith in the word, not faith in feelings. Okay, that's the faith that conquers fear. If all you're doing is, is placing faith in your feelings, you'll never conquer fear. Fear is only conquered by the word, not by feelings. I have faith in the word, not faith in my feelings. See, that's, that, that's the wrong way to use emotions, just put faith in it. It's okay to be aware of them because they can be indicators of us being in trouble. Well, like, like, you know. But ultimately, just like me in 2021, 
I knew that I was called to do this. I knew that the Lord was with me. He had shown me that throughout my entire uh, time with him as a follower of Christ. And any time that I would get unreasonable and start thinking thoughts that were ridiculous, I would always begin to go to Scripture and come back to it and say, this is ridiculous. I know who you are. I know what you've said. I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen to me. I know that, that there's a spiritual battle. I even know that the enemy is trying to tamper with me. I know that you're allowing it, but I know ultimately you're trying to refine me. So I'm going to do what you called me to do, and I'm going to, I'm going to allow you to grow me through this. I want to that. Let me tell you the biggest turning point in my life when it comes to fear and difficulty and difficult times. If you can get to the point, and some of you have heard me say this, it radically changed my life. If you can get to the point where the minute difficulty comes, fear, difficulty, whatever it may be, opposition is to pivot to the Lord that you serve and say, What are you trying to teach me? I'm in class right now. I'm not in despair. I'm not, you haven't abandoned me. You're teaching. So, what do I need to learn? And for me, the thing that he keeps teaching me over and over again because of my prideful self is that he keeps teaching me total dependence on him. Because if we don't need him, then we devalue him. So he'll say, I don't know what your deal is. So you think that you do this and you can do this easy and this thing and this pop up and you I've given you a gift set here and all this. Tell you what, I'm gonna take you to a place where you're getting to the point that you can't do this without me. He took me to the point, as y'all know, where I couldn't tie my shoes without him, couldn't breathe without him. And and what he's doing, he's doing that because he loves me. So that's, that's the part that's hard for you to get to, isn't it? Sherry's teaching on pain and suffering right now to these youth pastors, and she's trying to say what y'all got to learn to teach these young people is a lot of this stuff God allows. He allows it because he loves you, because you benefit from it. He's, he's teaching. He's refining. He's... Uh, He's growing you. So when we, when we hear this, the word of the Lord came, that's, that's what the, the Scripture wants us to know. God speaks to Abraham. Do you love the fact that he says, man, I love this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. Fear not Abraham. Personal. He didn't say fear not one of all these people I've created. Fear not in general. I'm God, you know, you're another person, just I'm God and fear not. No, he says, fear not, Abraham. He would say, fear not, James. Fear not, Charlie. Fear not, Rick. Personal, personal. And and so um, don't miss that because that's important. It's also the first time in Scripture, you ready for this? It's also the first time in Scripture we hear fear not. Now, you're going to hear him repeat that. He's going to say it to to Isaac, if you want to write this down in, in Genesis 26, 24, that's coming. He says it to Jacob uh, in chapter 46, 3, uh, that's coming. We'll be talking about that. He says it often to Israel, <laughs> Exodus 14, 13, Exodus 20, 20, Numbers 14, 9, Deuteronomy 1, 21. And then let me tell you something. Can I tell you some of the, the greatest fear knots in all of Scripture? Isaiah. Man, they some good ones in Isaiah. Really, really good ones. Uh, chapter 41, verse 10. 
chapter 41, 13, and 14, chapter 43, verse 1, chapter 44, verses 2 and 8, and I, I can go on. So what is God's remedy for fear? Look, look what he said. What is the remedy to remind us of who he is? And, and I don't know about you, but that always helps me when he reminds us of who he is. What does he say? Fear not, Abraham. I'm your shield. He didn't just say fear not with nothing else. Fear not. I'm your shield. Do, do you hear Romans 8 in here? If God is for me, who can be against me? Fear not, Abraham. I'm your shield. I'm with you. you. You're mine. What do you have to be afraid of? Fear not, I am your shield. I love that. And um, when you start thinking about this, when the Lord God Almighty, and I, I write this one down, Adrian Rogers, who discipled me so much early on in my faith and still does even from his glorification in heaven, all these documented sermons, recorded, thank goodness for recordings and writings. But he used to say this, write it big and write it bold. That, that means you that means you need to really get ready. Don't just write it, write it big, write it bold. When the Lord God Almighty offers you protection, he's the only one that can offer it and you can count on it. If the Lord offers you protection, you can count on it. Now I want you to think about that. I might offer you protection, but can't pull it off. Hey, man, I got you. Well, I don't know whether I got you or not. I mean to have you. You know what I mean? But what if something comes up that I can't stop and they get you? I'm limited to what I can do. Uh, I may mean well, but, you know, you say, hey, man, I'm worried about getting going out to my car right now. Somebody may jump me. I say, you don't worry about that. I got you. And I walk out there and some guy jumps me and beats me to a pulp and then beats you up. I mean, you know, maybe I didn't have enough for this guy. You know, it's uh, it, so, but but when God says, I am your shield, bank on it. If he says he's going to protect you, he's the only one that comes with a guarantee. He can do it. All right, so the first concern that God addresses with Abraham, after all this victory, don't miss that. First concern was, his, was fear, his safety. Now, his second concern that he brings up with God is what? This error that God keeps promising him. Abraham's finally going to come around and say, still don't have it. Uh, you, you said this was coming, but I, I still don't have it. So look at this. But Abraham said in verse 2, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. That is just someone who works for Abraham. He's a, he's, he's a family employee. Uh, Abraham does not have an heir, and the only family that that might be above Eleazar, they they're they're a long way off. They're back at Mesopotamia. I say it, uh, Mesopotamia. However you say that, but they're a long way. So so anyway, so Abraham's saying, God, I don't have this heir, uh, and I, I guess it'll just be this guy who who's who I who I like, and he we're close to him. But I don't see the heir, and you promised me one. But and now think about it; he's even given up. Because he said, well, I guess I'll just give it to Eliezer. I guess that's who it'll be. And God comes back and he says in three, um, I mean, Abraham says in three to God, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and members of my household will be my heir. That's Eliezer. Four. four. And behold, the word of the Lord came. There it is again. 
And behold, the Lord, uh, the word of the Lord came, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. Now, now here we go again. So God has promised Abraham that, that his descendants would, would be like the dust of the earth. You remember that in chapter 13? They're, they're going to be like looking at dust. Look what he does next. He takes him outside, verse 5. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Now look at six. Six is big. This is, this is that saving faith that Abraham keeps showing. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. There's faith again, that saving faith. Do you love this too? Here's the Lord God Almighty. I think about me even with my children. Well, I mean, you said you were going to get me a car for graduation, but I guess it's not going to happen. And then you, I would be like, I said you, we were going to get a car. Why do you think I'm not going to come through on that? Well, I guess I'll just keep driving that one I borrowed. No, I said we were going to. See, I'd get mad. I'd get mad about it. But see, God doesn't do that. God has already shown Abraham an analogy of dust on the ground. I know you think your wife's barren. I know you think you're getting old, which he is. So he shows him the dust. This time he walks him out and says, let me give you another analogy to remind you what I said. I want you to look at these stars. People that study this kind of thing, they, they say that they think we can see about 30,000. If, if you, if you read, you know, and that's an estimation of, of like ones that we can see with our eyes. So he sees this analogy. Now think about what God has done here. Now, whether Abraham is looking up or down, he's reminded of what God said about his, about his descendants. You, you, you go out there and look at the sky, God told me I was going to have an heir. You go out there and start looking down at the dirt, God told me I would have an heir. Wherever I look, I see God reminding me. And Abraham, to his credit, says, I believe you. How about thanks for the reminder, but I believe. I believe this is going to happen. And when he says that he believed it, what? He counted it to him as righteousness. Now, what is Jesus going to do for us? He's going to make us what? Totally righteous. A saving faith. We are saved by grace through faith. It is God's grace, but it is also our faith in that grace, in the God and the provider of the grace, and how it was provided. So really what's going on here, Abraham is, is talking to God about the plan. He's starting to doubt it. He's reassured. He says he believes. But here's something that's really, really interesting. What do you think, and you don't have to answer because the way we do this Bible study, it's, it's going out to people, but I'm going to let you sit there and think about it. What is God waiting on? Why hasn't he already given him an heir? Why hasn't that happened yet? Well, what God's going to do, because we know how long he waits, he's going to wait. This is going to be very Gideon-like, and God does this a lot in Scripture. He's going to wait to the point of them becoming pregnant is as impossible as it could possibly be. Not only is Sarah barren, I'm going to let you get so old and her get so old 
that when this baby comes, nobody could have done it but me. It will be absolutely miraculous. I mean, because you think about it. You know how people are. Let's say Abraham, he gives in the air while Abraham's younger than he's going to be. I think he gets it to 99 before he gets it. Well, you know, somebody could say, well, are you sure Sarah's barren? I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe we were just wrong about that. I mean, but he's going to let them get so old <laughs> to where there is just no chance that these two people could produce a child without God. Now, we know God's in every conception, but you know what I mean? This is going to be a miraculous conception, not a biological conception. That is God, too, but you know what I mean. It's going to be something that God had to do because nature could not have done it. Um, and so he's waiting on that. And, and and he uses this analogy of the stars, which is fantastic. And I, I love that he's doing this because he's reminding Abraham to be confident. Abraham believes in six and, uh, you know, promises don't do any good from God unless we're willing to believe in them. Say that again. Promises of God don't do any good if you won't believe in them. God can make all the promises. You can read them throughout the Scripture all you want to, but if you don't believe in them, then they don't really do you any good. And 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 we know that Abraham had already proven his faith when he left his home and went to Canaan. Um, so this reference uh, about about this kind of belief, a saving belief in Genesis fifteen six, uh, is referenced three times about Abraham's belief in the New Testament. So Paul refers back to it twice, and then James refers back to it about this moment when Abraham believed, about Abraham's faith. Uh, Galatians 3.6, Paul talks about it to the church at Galatia. Uh, Romans 4.3, you remember when he talks about Abraham's faith and him believing, and then in James 2.23. Um, and, and these three words you're going to find every time that we reference this, and they're the keys, and I want you to write this down. You're going to say these words, believe, and then counted as righteousness. Believe, counted, righteous. Believe, counted, righteous. Write those three words down. Those are very important. Abraham believed God. And you know what the the word here in Hebrew when it says, and, and Abraham believed the Lord? This is really cool. Do you know what the Hebrew word in English, would? if we were finding a way to really say it, just true English from this Hebrew. You know what Abraham said? Amen, God. Didn't I tell you I was going to do this? Look at these stars. You try to count these stars. Those are going to be your descendants. And you know what Abraham said? Remembering about what he'd already been told about this. Amen. Amen, God. Let it be so. I, you, that's right. Just like when you amen the pastor, Abraham was amening God. Amen. Amen, God. I believe that. Isn't that beautiful? So and there, the, the other way that it's used here, if you take what the, the Hebrew is saying here, and you, you, know, you start this word believe gets thrown around a lot, and we're, but we're talking about a saving belief. Not, not, not like I said when I was a cultural Christian, I believed in the concepts of God. I believed in the history of Jesus. That's not what this, this Hebrew word means. The word that the Hebrew word means here, believe, is to lean your whole weight upon. To lean, I'm, hey, I'm in. 
I am all in. I don't believe that is historically true. I don't believe that what you're saying, you believe it to be true. It's going to happen, and I'm all in. Amen, God, to lean my whole weight upon. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you have that kind of faith? Are, are you kind of vacillating and wavering? I mean, when people, when someone brings you up, and people say, "Now, does, is he a, is, is he is he believe in Jesus? Is he a believer?" Oh yeah. Oh man, he 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 leans his whole weight in on it. There's nothing in his life more important than that. He is so solidified. She is so solidified in this belief that God has redeemed them through Jesus and Jesus alone and that Jesus Christ is going to call for them at their earthly death or he's going to return to get his church. They don't just think that that is possibly true. Their whole weight is on it. They live it. They breathe it. It's the center. It's the foundation in which they stand. Be careful going around them if you don't want to talk about Jesus because it is the center of their life. It's the great thing about um, when Whitfield was preaching and, and, and his ministry was just exploding. You've heard me talk about this before. And the, the atheist reporter went to cover one of his revivals. You know, people would just be everywhere. You know, he would stand up. Whitfield, would, 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 he would preach to, to, like, men coming out of the mines. And they would say that he would be out there, and he would just be so fervent in his preaching as those men were coming out of the mines and their faces were just black as soot. And they said the thing that was, that was a sign of Whitfield preaching is that you could see these men's faces and their faces would become white where the tears would be rolling out of their eyes down that nasty dirt because of the passion of the Spirit in Whitfield. And so when the reporter went to hear him preach, a guy walked up and said, it's, I didn't expect to see you here. He said, well, I'm trying to cover this revival that is breaking out all over England. And he looks at him and he says, well, so do you now believe? And the reporter said, no, but he does. Pointing at Whitfield, he does. He could tell. He's all in. And, and I wonder if people say that about us. And that has been that kind of faith has been counted to us as righteous in our Lord and Savior who makes us fully righteous. Praise his holy name. So the, uh, the word here, believe, amen, God, to lean your whole weight upon, we'll see it nearly a hundred times in Scripture. What was the greatest need of Abraham based on the Scripture? What is, what, what is it that Abraham needed? Righteousness. He needed to be made righteous. And so God counted it to him as righteousness. So two concerns. Abraham was concerned about his safety. He was concerned about his heir. God takes all this on, no problem at all. And the next one is he's concerned about the land. So, so look at this. Verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur and from the Chaldeans to give you the land to possess. But he said to God, here's Abraham again in 8, his third concern. O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, 
a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. And he did not cut the birds in half. Thank you, Moses, for letting us know that. Eleven. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, that's a normal happening, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Hmm. Well, I, I mean, we've already been reassured about our safety. We've been reassured about the air. We believe this. But now in this dream, a great darkness fell upon Abram, and it was dreadful. Verse 13, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. So not good news there that his descendants are going to go through difficulty. This is about them being, of course, in bondage in Egypt which goes back to what we were talking about when Abram panicked, when Canaan had famine and he panicked. It was a foreshadowing of their future bondage. He jumps down into Egypt for the answers. So here he's being told this is exactly what's going to happen to them. But look at 15. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. Hmm. So you're you're hearing the assurance. Abraham wasn't um, showing a sign of unbelief here. He he just needed some assurance. Um, and of course the Lord was um, was telling him in verses nine and ten about these two pagan um, about these pagan nations, and he's. He's, he's saying that um, that he needed to understand that he was the Lord and that he had already done so many things. Now, you're, you're maybe asking about you know, him reminding Abraham about the things he had done. This thing of the ritual with the animal parts, if you're like me, you're like, wow, what, what in the world's going on here? So what was going on here, this was, this was known uh, as the cutting of a covenant. And this was the walking between the cut-up animals, and, and and what it was meant to show. Let's say, if say you you and I entered into some sort of covenant, and I said, "This is what I'm bringing to the covenant, and I'm making a covenant with you that I will do whatever, and I make a promise." And I said, "I'm gonna make a covenant on this." Well, then what I would do is I would take a torch. You're gonna see this here in a minute. I would take a torch. And I would walk through these cut-up animals that we cut up and laid out like this. And what I'm telling you, that if I go back on the deal and I violate and break the covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. That I will be cut up in pieces and, and killed if I go against the covenant. That, that's what this is. It was literally called the cutting of a covenant. I deserve the same fate as these animals if I break the covenant. So Abram falls asleep, and, and, and God showed Abram that it was God who would fulfill the promise alone, not Abraham. 
So look what happens next. 17. First of all, in 16, he says, and they shall come back here, talking about his descendants, in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. That, that's dealing with all the different ites and everything there in Canaan, and that, uh, that there's a process. Now, keep, think, think about this again. You hear this all the time. Well, you know, I, I just don't know about a God that tells his people to go in and take this place away, uh, away from these people that are already there. Well, the evil of all the ites there, the Canaanites and the evil that was there, was just, it's unspeakable, the, the people that they were. But God still gave them 400 years to repent, to change. And then when they didn't, he finally brought his people in and, and destroyed them. But he, he allowed them to come to the, uh, some place of repentance that they never came to. And he says that, 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 that chance for them is not yet complete. 17, when the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And then he goes to the land of all the different ites that are there, and he lists them. So what Abraham is seeing, now remember what I told you about this cutting of a covenant ceremony. What Abraham is allowed to see is God moving through these cut-up pieces and saying that I'm the one that will make this covenant and no one else can pull off what I'm going to pull off. And what God is showing once again is that the only way this covenant can ever be done is by me, not by you. You don't need to walk through the cut-up pieces because you can't do it. I'm going to move this torch and this fire pot through the cut-up pieces showing you that I am the only one who can do it, and it will be done through my grace alone, a foreshadowing of redemption. Abraham could not provide the righteousness for himself. God would have to provide that for him. Amen? That's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And then um, out of that horror of the great darkness, which is what Abraham's descendants will have to go through, Abraham heard the terms of God's covenant and discovered God's plan for the nation. You ever wonder what uh, I can tell you when God said, don't worry, you'll go to the fa your fathers and you'll die in peace at a good old age? Apparently, God thought a good old age for Abraham was 175 years. That's how long he lived. Do you think God will give you a good old age for you to go on in? So, um, and what would that look like for us as individuals? I don't really know. But, um, but may it be so. What has God called you to do? God said that he made a covenant with us through Jesus, and he said that he offered us redemption and that his son could make us fully righteous. And then when, when, when Jesus completed that, as he was ready to ascend to the Father, he said to us what? what, what, was, what what's our response to the grace? What is our response to the covenant? Go and make disciples. 
Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit until I come back. Are we holding up our end of the covenant? has nothing to do with earning salvation. That's been done. But apparently there is something that God said to us about our response to the covenant. The covenant he made with us and only he could fulfill, he said, because I have done it, now you do this. It has nothing to do with our redemption, but apparently it has a lot to do with our response to the redemption. And I think that the one thing, here I go across and over back over to Elijah again. Forgive me for that. I've just been in both of these. And uh, I know that those of you that are doing the real men um, curriculum, you've already gone through Elijah, the ones at my home church. I don't know about the rest of you where you are. But you remember we talked about this going through Elijah. But I'll add a caveat to it because I don't know if I included it in that curriculum or not. The the answer, and you see Abraham going through this, but in Elijah's situation, he tries to go on a retreat that God never mandated. And God keeps asking Elijah, what are you doing here? He's walking with Abraham. He's reminding him of everything. He's showing him the covenant. Some of this has had to be repeated. Elijah is in this place where he's saying he's tired, he wants to die, he's afraid. The angel of the Lord, which was also precarnate Jesus, feeds Elijah, gives him water, takes care of him. The journey is too hard for you. It's too much for you. He was talking about that figuratively, but he also was talking about it literally because Elijah was trying to get to Mount Sinai, which from where he was was 250 miles. So uh, so he gets refreshed by the angel of the Lord, Jesus of the Trinity, the Son, and he, he 40 days to Mount Sinai. And we know God with the wind and the earthquake and the fire, and God wasn't any of that, and Elijah gets back in the cave, he's hiding, and then it was with that whisper that Elijah comes to the front of the cave, and God says to Elijah, showing him his resume like he did Job, like he does Abraham, Showing his resume, I've, I've come to y'all in all these different ways, but right now I want to talk to you personally. I'm going to talk to you in a soft, still voice, which is beautiful. What are you doing here? Elijah, again, using his name. And Elijah gives his resume of all he's done for the Lord. And, the, and when Elijah gives the wrong answer, he comes back again. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah gives that same resume again. And then the Lord tells him to go back to work. I didn't call you to this retreat. We just had a huge victory, Abraham. We just had a huge victory, Elijah. And what Jezebel has done, she has fooled you into running away when you're supposed to be there in the middle of this victory. And we're making ground with the people who believe in me now. Jezebel could have just come and killed you. She sent you a letter. She fooled you. She got you to leave what I had told you to do. And you need to get back to what you were called to do. So you know what the answer to the question, when Abraham does this, when Elijah does this, when we do this, you know what the answer to the question, what are you doing here, the correct answer was? Nothing. I quit. Now, I'm not saying that we don't rest. 
That's, that's not what I'm talking about. But we don't knock it out of gear and say that we have done enough and we coast looking for the good old age doing nothing. Do you know of all the calls that God places on people? And they're all unique and they're all different. We have some that we share together by making disciples and advancing the kingdom. But there's individual calls on everybody's life. And your call may not be mine. But did you know that there's a call from the Lord that does not exist? The call to do nothing. Now, there's a call to rest. That's not what I'm talking about. But there is no call that say, well, I think I've been redeemed, and I think that God went to the cross for me, and, and I think that he gave, he gave his son for me, and he, he made me fully righteous, and he has redeemed me. And now my response to God is, thank you, but you can count on me for nothing. I think I've been called to do nothing. That's what God was telling Elijah. I didn't tell you to come here. You're not supposed to be here. How many times can God say to us based on whatever it is, what are you doing here? With Abraham, I told you the heir was coming. I told you that you were going to get the land. I told you I'm your shield and I'm your protector. What are we doing? Let's get back to it. I told you all that my wife went through that, and uh, she's talked about it. It's a powerful message. I was just at the farm yesterday, and uh, I was with one of my dear brothers, and we were just talking about this over and over again. And we both were telling each other, and we're getting older. Do you know what you think? Think about how stupid this is. Do you know that most studies have been shown, and we found this out from the pastor that we have now, and is my pastor at this stage of my life, Mac Brunson. He was getting toward the end where he thought he had kind of time to retire and do all that. And he found out, like, like we all can, that the research has been done in the most productive era of a man's life, his most productive 10 years his most productive decade is 60 to 70. Do you think it's just a coincidence that we start telling people to retire at 65? Hey, you're done. You have nothing to bring to the table. You go and celebrate all that you've done. You just kick your feet up, go fishing, go do whatever, play golf. Right at the time a man can actually do more than he ever could before we take him out of the game. You know what the second most productive is? 70 to 80. And this is when we're pulling them out of the game. And we put a bunch of young people in there who don't know anything. And we, we run them into the ground. And all the people with the gray hair and the wisdom, we tell them, y'all done. We have it completely backward. We're supposed to be helping them. Because what did, what did God tell Elijah to do too? Go get Elisha. And he didn't say just walk up and tell him he's next and then I'll rescind the chariot for you. Go get him ready. Then I'll bring you to me. Then I'll bring you to me. I hope we hear this. I have heard it all week long. But he is patient, isn't he? That, that th- blew me away here at the end, 18 to 21. He starts listing all the ites. And he's given them centuries to repent, even them. Delaying his own people. 
offering them plenty of time to repent. There's people out there right now that have been given plenty of time to repent, but maybe they've never been told they need to. Paul, Romans 10, screaming, how are they going to hear? How are they going to believe in me if they never heard of me? How are they going to hear of me if nobody tells them? How's anybody going to go tell them if nobody ever sends them? Don't knock it out of gear. Don't have God have to come to you or come to me and say, what are you doing here? Why, why, fear not. What are you doing over here all cowered down, afraid of everything? Have I not told you what I'm going to do? I just don't know what's happening. Have you seen Russia going into Ukraine, God? Yeah. You think I don't know about that? Have I not shown you how this is all going to end? I've told you what I'm doing, and I've told you what to do. I just don't know if you're really going to do it. Fear not. I am your shield. I am your protector. I told you that. I just don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Go make disciples. Teach them all that I've commanded you. I don't really know what you've commanded me. I know. I've been waiting on you to learn that. Well, I'm old. Good. Then you should have learned a lot. There's nothing wrong with being old. What's sad is to be old and know nothing. That's what's sad. <laughs> I love being old. I like being old so much better than being young. I was an absolute idiot. I had cartilage, but I was stupid. Now I try to jump off a box, and it really hurts, but I'm smart. You know it? God, you ever look back on that and say, what, what good was all that? I kind of like being slower. I can't run from him near as good anymore. And I'm still stupid in a lot of things, and I'm, I'm ready to learn more. I'm learning a lot right now. I hope you are too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the message. And uh, this is one that you have just really, 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 really poured out on me this week. And I'm so thankful for you. Forgive me for where I've failed you. Forgive me for the times you've had to come and find me. And I'm there wondering what you're going to do and what about this and what about that and you know, wringing my hands over things that, uh, that you have already told me what you're going to do. Forgive me sometimes for my lack of faith. I pray, Lord, that you would find me standing with a faith today that you would count again through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ Thank you for, for making us righteous. Help us, Lord, to be the men and, and the women who may be watching and listening that only you can make us. If there's anyone out there, if you're out there right now and the Lord God is piercing your heart and you need help, just reach out to me. I'll be glad to help you any way I can. Thank you, Lord, for these men that are so diligent to be here every Wednesday in the room, Lord. I just, I just look at their faces and I see how this has benefited them because of you, but I, I, I can't even put in words how it's benefited me. So thank you, Lord. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. Thanks for being with us.